This is Scott, host of the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast and Black author. You could get all three of my books. My first book, Systematic Racism and Capitalism, Alliance of Oppression. My second book, Hypocrisy in America, The Veil of White Supremacy. And my third book, my first novel, Exodus 2035, all available on Amazon.com and Amazon Kindle. If you don't have a Kindle, you can download the Kindle app to your smartphone or tablet, and you can access those products. Thanks for listening. They were celebrating Dr. Seuss's birthday a little early today over at North Park Mall in Ridgeland. Yeah, the Simon Kidgets Club hosted the Dr. Seuss 75th birthday and a celebration. Kids got a chance to get up and close and personal with the cat in the hat, all while learning how important it is to read at a young age. The event included storytelling by 16 WAPT's Megan West. It's so important to celebrate Dr. Seuss's birthday because that reminds us that it's important for us to read with our kids every day and, and encourage your children to read and get new books, take them to the library, store and just um, sh- share and trade books with your friends too. It's so important to read. Did you see the cat in the hat there? Well, he was the Grand Marshal for a parade held inside North Park Mall today, all in honor of Dr. Seuss. I feel like it's pretty messed up, to be honest. So. Fans of Dr. Seuss are disappointed after a racist cartoon has come to light. That cartoon drawn for a magazine by the famous San Diegan Theodore Geisel was recently put up for auction. Tennis reporter Michael Chen went to the biggest Dr. Seuss collection in the world and uncovered more of his drawings from the same magazine. At UCSD outside the library that bears his name, a statue in tribute to Dr. Seuss. But could this cartoon now chip away at the image of the beloved author? On campus. I'm just uh, sad. These are the sounds. Wow. <laughs> of the nostalgia of childhood. I love his books. Being tarnished. Just taint a little bit of this image in my mind. All thanks to this image, a four-panel cartoon by the then 25-year-old Theodore Geisel, which appeared in the political magazine Judge in 1929. I feel like it's pretty messed up. It depicts scenarios in which rich men can purchase items to make their lives more difficult. A sign reads, take home a high-grade N-word for your woodpile. While some we talked to stopped short of outrage. You gotta look in the context of the time that, you know, back then. All expressed disappointment. This is something that I would not expect him to write. We wanted to scour the rest of his work. And went inside the Geisel Library, which contains the largest collection of Dr. Seuss illustrations, some 15,000 pieces. They are locked in a back room and the school declined to allow us in. On the library website, we found several of his drawings from Judge Magazine. A source familiar with the collection says none of the illustrations contain the N-word or blackface. Geisel, a liberal Democrat. I would not eat them here or there. And the best-selling children's author of all time spent the last four decades of his life in La Jolla. As for the cartoon and auction... Not a single bid? Well, I think that's a good thing, to be honest. The auction just wrapped up. No one made the minimum $20,000 bid. Most we talked to called that the best possible ending to this Dr. Seuss story. Michael Chen, 10 News. Welcome to the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Everybody should be following me on Instagram at unprocessed underscore knowledge you can you can also follow me on tiktok at unprocessed knowledge one word
Dr. Seuss is back in headline news. This information about Dr. Seuss creating racist undertones in some of his work is not new. I know it may be new to a lot of people because it is mainstream news this week. That last clip I just played courtesy of ABC News San Diego, that clip is from five years ago. This information has been known about Dr. Seuss for decades. Listen back to the clip. The University of San Diego houses the largest library of Dr. Seuss illustrations, over 1,500. They have most of them locked up in a vault. And when this news organization asked, requested access to this collection to see, you know, whatever racist illustrations might there be that Dr. Seuss may have created over his lifetime, they were denied access. They said, no, you can't come back here. You can't look through these records. Once again, this is not white people being ignorant. This is not ignorance. This is a collected effort to shield the reputation of Dr. Seuss, which they have been doing since the 1930s. My goodness. So this is something that it has been known. It has been known. Dr. Seuss, the, the most successful children's author of all time. This is something that has been known about him by his publisher, by fans of his work, has been known for decades. But they just did not want to talk about it again. Not ignorance. This is a collective effort. This week's headline news story about, about Dr. Seuss goes as follows. This is courtesy of the Associated Press. Six Dr. Seuss books will no longer be published because they portray people in ways that are hurtful and wrong. The business that preserves the author's legacy said the titles are and to think that I saw it on Marbury Street. If I ran the zoo. McElegant's pool. On Beyond Zebra. Scrambled Egg Super and the Cat's Quizzler. In a statement, Dr. Seuss Enterprises said it made the decision after consulting educators and reviewing its catalog. Ceasing sales of these books is only part of our commitment and our broader plan to ensure Dr. Seuss Enterprises catalog represents and supports all communities and families. So Dr. Seuss Enterprises is trying to clean up his image and they say, hey, uh, these six books with, with all this um, blatant racism in it and, and hurtful images, we just going to pull these off the shelves. All right. <laughs> We're not going to put these out there no more. I mean, it only took them what? 50 damn years to do it. So if you have children, hell, even if you are Red Dr. Seuss yourselves, which we all grew up on, we grew up on the cat in the hat, green eggs and ham. We grew up on the Grinch. Horton hears who when you know when we were child when we were children we look forward to those things coming on we all read those books we all saw those books we all had those books if you are shocked if you are surprised drop me a comment let me know how you feel let me know how you feel about Dr. Seuss are you getting rid of Dr. Seuss in your house <laughs> let's move on to the next story I had to read this story a couple times Capitol Police Chief warns that militia groups want to blow up the Capitol when Biden addresses Congress. Last week, February 25th, acting U.S. Capitol Police Chief warned Thursday 
that militia groups involved in the January 6th insurrection want to blow up the Capitol and kill as many, many members as possible when President Joe Biden addresses Congress. We know that members of the militia groups that were present on January 6th have stated their desires that they want to blow up the Capitol and kill as many members as possible when a direct nexus of the State of the Union, which we know the date has not been identified. Right wing militia groups want to blow up the U.S. Capitol with the president and members of Congress in it when he does the next State of the Union. The date for the State of the Union has the date and time has not been identified. It has not been released, but the threat is credible and the threat is there. And this should be taken very seriously. This is white supremacist domestic terrorism. And it should be treated as such. It should be treated very serious. Um, if you're like me, I just saw the movie Judas and the Black Messiah. If they could infiltrate and destroy the Black Panthers, they need to infiltrate and destroy these domestic terrorist organizations who are trying to not only kill members of Congress, not only trying to kill the president of the United States, they are trying to blow up the U.S. Capitol and who knows how many other innocent people will be harmed in their wake if their plan is successful. This should be treated with the highest urgency by law enforcement. And again, this is not ignorance. This is a collective effort. This is a organized terrorist plot. These are people coming together and say, look, this is what we're going to do. Let's organize and let's get it done. A large umbrella of some of these white supremacist conspiracy groups is a group called QAnon. Maybe you heard of them, but don't know what it is. Let me explain what QAnon is. QAnon is a far right wing, loosely organized network and community of believers who embrace a range of unsubstantiated beliefs. These views center on the idea that a cabal of Satan worshiping pedophiles, mainly consisting of what they see as elitist Democrats, politicians and journalists, also entertainment moguls and other institutional figures have long controlled much of the so-called deep state, which they say sought to undermine former President Trump, mostly with the aid of media and entertainment outlets. QAnon conspiracy theories allege that there is a battle between good and evil, which Mr. Trump is allied with the good. QAnon followers followers are awaiting two major events. One, the storm and two, the great awakening. The storm is the mass arrest of people in high power positions who will face a long awaited reckoning. The great awakening involves a single event in which everyone will attain the empathy that QAnon theory was accurate the whole time. This realization will allow society to enter an age of utopia. All right. So basically, there is a far right extremist movement of people who identify themselves as QAnon, who just believe everything from uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Hillary Clinton are devil worshipers. And that they are involved in a mass human trafficking ring, which they smuggle children from Washington, D.C. to Hollywood. And once they get to Hollywood, these children are sacrificed to Satan so that people who are in Hollywood, who are beautiful, rich and powerful, 
they stay beautiful, rich and powerful by sacrificing these children to Satan. You know, they drink their blood and they stay young and beautiful and rich. And then, you know, these people in Hollywood and these powerful Democrats have formed this union of uh, human sacrifice, human trafficking and Satan worship in order to undermine uh, President Trump and steal the election and kick him out the office and uh, take the country over. All right. So that's what they believe. Now, think about everything I just said. And they roll their eyes at black people for being skeptical when it comes to the powers that be in this country. When, when black people are skeptical about getting vaccinated, white people just scoff and roll their eyes. Oh, silly black people. Still talking about that Tuskegee thing again. Y'all just need to let that go. When we talk about, you know, uh, systematic racism with, within the law enforcement. Oh, man. Y'all, y'all really believe that every, you know, every, every cop is in the back but you got a large group of people who tried to take over the U.S. Capitol on January, not even two months ago, who are um, who are members of this QAnon movement. These same mainstream media outlets aren't rolling their eyes and scoffing at them. <laughs> OK, <laughs> think about that. This reminds me of when they try to shame black people specifically and to getting vaccinated and let me say for the record um, the way you feel about the vaccine is the way you feel about the vaccine i'm not here to tell you how you should feel or, or what i feel to each his own if, if, if you want to get it get it if you're a little skeptical i understand but for black people who are maybe a little skeptical about getting the vaccine particularly the first wave because they have knowledge of history and you know they understand how the medical community has treated black people in this country systematically mainstream media outlets will try to shame black people and oh that's silly and you got to believe in science and tyler perry got it and um, rest in peace to the late hank aaron he got it and he's trying to you know prove to y'all y'all got to get on board and let this foolishness go and it's like they talk down to black people for being skeptical keep in mind this has been going on for a year you have had large, very large groups of white people who said that COVID-19 was a liberal hoax. They said it was a liberal hoax and it wasn't real and it was a Democrat conspiracy and they're not wearing a mask. And they came out and <laughs> protested with guns and said, you know, we're not wearing a mask and you need to open the gyms. And by the way, we're going to kidnap the governor. <laughs> Remember that in Michigan? Right. But they talk down to us for being skeptical about taking a foreign substance in your body when it's like, you know, I don't really know if this is good for me or not. I'm not saying all black people are skeptical because some black people are not skeptical. I know quite a few, maybe not a few, but I know some black people who have went and they have gotten the vaccines. And, you know, I didn't bad mouth them. I didn't call them dumb and stupid. The way you feel about it is the way you feel about it. But if you're a black person in this country, I can understand if you're being skeptical because you have a right to be skeptical right you have a right to be skeptical without being talking talked down to that's the thing when they try to convince black people to do something in large numbers i'm not just talking about one or two black people i'm talking about black society the mainstream media has a history of talking down to black to black society as if they're bad children and that's what i don't like right don't let nobody shame you into using your brain. Don't let nobody shame you into using logic and common sense. Don't let nobody shame you into coming up with your own 
decisions. You know, why are we talking about, you know, not letting people shame you? Former President Barack Obama was on Bruce Springsteen's podcast last week, and he said white resistance and resentment stopped him from pushing for reparations. Mm, mm, mm. Former President Barack Obama said reparations for black Americans were a non-starter during his presidency. Then this is a direct quote. So if you ask me theoretically, this is Barack Obama talking, are reparations justified? The answer is yes. He said, there's not much question that the wealth of this country, the power of this country was built in significant part, not exclusively, maybe not even the majority of, disagree with that, but a large portion of it was built on the back of slaves. But he said pushing for that type of economic support for black Americans, including descendants of slaves during his presidency, likely would have been unsuccessful. When I saw during my presidency was the politics of white resistance and resentment, the talk of welfare queens and the talk of the undeserving poor and the backlash against affirmative action. Obama said on the podcast, all that made the prospect of actually proposing any type of coherent, meaningful reparations program struck me as politically not only a non-starter, but potentially counterproductive. That is a direct quote from former President Barack Obama himself. Hmm. I'll say this. President Barack Obama, that's he's telling you the way he felt. Now, we all know that his predecessor was a man who didn't give a damn what nobody felt. He was going to do what he was going to do. If <laughs> he was going to sign an executive order and push it through. Right? He didn't care what nobody said about him. Barack Obama, he had the highest seat in the land. He was president of the United States for four years. Black people showed up in record numbers and supported him as the first black president. And on the issue of reparations, when it came time for him, who he even himself said he believed black people deserves reparations. This is him talking when it came time for him to stand up for black people on the issue of reparations. He sat down. He should have pushed that through by any means necessary. And if it got shot down, it got shot down. If it got overturned by the U.S. Uh, Supreme Court. It got overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court, but he should have stood on his square. and He should have fought for that while he was president of the United States. I'm not bad mouthing him. I think he's a brilliant brother with a beautiful family, but he dropped the ball on that one. He himself is saying he let white resistance and white resentment stop him from pushing forward on the reparations talk. We as black people in America, we have dealt with white resistance and white resentment for over 500 years or since 1619, depending on which dates you believe. So we've always dealt with that. So that ain't nothing new. So you mean to tell me you had the power to do something to benefit black people as a group? The right which is right, which is deserved. But you didn't do it because you didn't want to make a bunch of white people mad. <laughs> OK, all right. No, yeah. I'll leave that there. Um, you guys you can use your brains to come up with your own op- opinions on that. Truth of the matter is, yes, the wealth of this country 
was built during slavery on the backs of black people. And we have never been compensated for the 245 years of free labor. And the government owes us a debt. Right? People will say that, like, well, I wasn't around. No, you wasn't around. But guess what? The federal government who legislated, organized, and enforced the system of slavery is still here. And it owes us a debt. The federal government is still around and it owes us a debt. And that debt needs to be paid. I don't give a damn how you feel about race. We are owed by the government. Point blank, period. Former President Barack Obama knows that. One thing I'm curious about is what's the point of coming out and talking about it now? You know, he hasn't been president in five years. Why, why sit down and talk about it now? When you had the power to do something about it, you ain't do nothing. So what's the point of being like, well, but even though I didn't do anything, I really felt like something should have been done. Why did you do it? I mean, it's kind of odd. I've said this many times on this program. A lot of politicians will pander for the votes of black people specifically. But then when it comes time for them to do something, they, they don't. We don't get anything for our vote. This next story, courtesy of CBS News down in Oklahoma. According to CBS 12, a seventh grader in Edmond, Oklahoma, walked into his science class wearing a T-shirt with an outline of Africa and the words Black King displayed on the front. According to the boy's mother, this prompted the teacher to stop in class and telling the boy in front of his classmates, your shirt is racist. The teacher then allegedly said if she wore a shirt with the words White Queen on it, They will be in uproar. She also report, reportedly told the boy there needs to be a white history month, prompting the rest of the predominantly white class to agree and verbally attack him. He will not put his blackness on layaway <laughs> to be told when and how he should use it. His mother told the news station. Edmond Public Schools has since issued a statement claiming they are aware of the incident and have been in contact with the mother. If it is determined that the student was the target of bullying, racism and or discrimination, swift action will be taken as required by district policy. So this seventh grader and when you're in the seventh grade, you're like, what, 11, 12 years old, 12, 13 years old. Right. He's wearing a T-shirt. It says Black King on it, and it has the symbol of Africa in the middle, and he's a black kid in a predominantly white class with a white teacher, and they looked at him and told him this shirt is racist. Now, I don't understand at all how this is racist, right? (laughs) The teacher went to say, if she wore a shirt that said White Queen on it, everybody would be in the uproar. This is non sensical this is a young black boy with some pride with some self-esteem he walks in the class with a t-shirt on it that says i'm a black king and he is targeted and bullied by a class full of white folks this is not ignorance again not ignorance this is a collective effort and here here's what makes no sense her analogy is well if i wore a t-shirt that says white queen there'd, there'd be an uproar well there were white queens Queen Elizabeth, you, you, you can go down and listen, name them. You ever heard of Queen Elizabeth over there in England? She's a queen, she's white. <laughs> so how's that? Ain't nothing racist about it. 
but because this this young man has some pride maybe even a little knowledge of self he walks into a classroom full of white folks with a t-shirt on that says black queen king and they didn't like that i guarantee you if his t-shirt said he was a trap star right if his if his t-shirt was was representing the the, the neighborhood street gang if his t-shirt had like like hustle gang on it nobody would have a problem with it but he walked in with with some pride with a little knowledge of self and they had to tear they tried to destroy that young man's self-esteem a seventh grader the whole classroom was ganging up on him these are the people that we have teaching black children man my heart goes out to the black parents who live in these predominantly white areas who have to send their kids to these predominantly white schools to have them taught by pieces of filth like this this woman should not be allowed anywhere near black children black children specifically she is not qualified to teach black children anything right she is poisoning the minds of black children that's what she's there for you know how they have laws that certain you know sex offenders are not allowed within like you know 300 yards or however many yards it is from a school or playground or anywhere children are this woman should not be anywhere allowed schools playgrounds or anywhere black children are specifically let's get into the last story of the day this clip courtesy of npr inequities around the world clearly also exist here black americans have faced discrimination and even abuse by medical professionals throughout our country's history and in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic these problems have only been magnified first we hear from americans who directly experienced medical discrimination and then yamish alcindor speaks with a doctor who has studied this painful legacy So about 10 years ago, when I was in college, I just started fainting pretty regularly. And the very first doctor I saw kind of ignored everything that I said because she wanted to focus on an STD panel. She was convinced that I had tertiary syphilis at the age of 22. I said, don't you have to have that for like 10 years before that would happen? And she said, yeah. I was like, well, I wasn't having sex when I was 12. She refused to believe me. She refused to believe that at that point in my life, I'd only had one partner and she just was adamant, would not look at any other options. And then at some point in time, I just stopped going to the doctor and I dealt with not knowing what was wrong with me. Two years ago, I was at work. I couldn't make sentences. I couldn't read. I got rushed to the hospital. They thought I was having a stroke. And it was only then that they determined that I have complex migraines, which mimic other things. I had my gallbladder removed. I noticed after I left the hospital, I was in a a lot more pain than I thought I should be in. By the fifth day, I was not able to keep any food down. I had a fever. It was about 103. I reached out to the, uh, the surgery team. He was just so dismissive. He wouldn't run any tests. I came home and emailed my doctor. She made an appointment at a a hospital, so they did the proper um, blood work and everything and determined that I was septic. The doctor told me once I made it to the hospital, like, you couldn't have survived another night like that. I um, had to get a laparoscopic procedure. I remember sitting in the bathroom and feeling like like something was falling out. What I saw, like, like protruding, I, I was like terrified. 
So we went to the ER. The supervising doctor was able to remove it. It was like a curved metal thing. And the resident comes down and it's a a young white girl. She was just, as a matter of fact, like, oh, don't worry. Uh, It was sterile when we put it in. There was no like, you know, regard for, hey, that was put in on Thursday and it's not meant to stay there. A couple of days later, I'm still feeling pain. And I called the doctor's office. The doctor calls back and she goes, um, well, I don't want to give you um, any more opioids because I don't want you to develop a habit. Huh? Like, you know, I, I don't know. I just felt like it was disrespectful. It was dismissive. I felt that it had a lot to do with me being a black woman. And I just wasn't in a position to really advocate for myself at that time. I was sick. I was barely standing up. I know 100% that the treatment that I would have gotten, the dismissiveness of my symptoms and my health history and not believing me would not have happened had I not been a woman of color. I think race, um, you know, sometimes is a roadblock for some people um, where they're not able to feel empathy. I would have felt better if she had a reaction, you know, to it, you know, and asked me how I was doing. I have a seven-year-old who I've taken him. He had a very severe medical issue and we were repeatedly ignored over and over and over and over again. And it took me bringing his white father to repeat what I've been saying for the three previous appointments for them to take it seriously. I've been so terrified of getting sick because I don't want to end up needing a doctor, needing to go into a hospital. Like the thought of it gives me so much anxiety. If I end up there again, there's no way that I'm going to survive. Like I got lucky this time. My dad got really, really sick um, from COVID and he was in the uh, ICU for 10 days And for me, there was a fear because, you know, at this point, nobody's able to go in and I can't advocate for my dad. I don't know what his experience is. So it is a fear of like, how are they going to treat him? You don't want to have to, if you're ever that sick, to put your life in the hands of somebody who might not even care about your life. As we just heard, there's a deep distrust for the medical community among many African-Americans. For more on this, I'm joined by Dr. Vanessa Northington-Gamble. She's a professor at George Washington University and historian of American medicine. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Gamble. What is the danger in focusing too much on the distrust of black people for the medical health care system than rather focusing on the untrustworthiness of the system? I think the problem is with this focus on the distrust of African-Americans, it becomes like this inherent trait of African-Americans that these distrustful black people, as opposed to focusing on a healthcare system that does not have trustworthiness. So what has the healthcare system done to engender the trust of African-Americans? And by talking about trustworthiness, it puts the onus on the medical care system to change. Bravo, bravo, my sentiments exactly. It's not just about what happened in the Tuskegee experiment. It's not just about what happened, you know, 100 years ago or before anyone was born. It's about what's happening to black people in these hospitals right now, today. It's about what your you experience. It's about what you experience with your child. It's about how they treated your mom. It's about the 
unfair treatment based on race that black people are experiencing today, which is compelling them to be skeptical when it comes to anything related to the medical community or hospitals. Right. They always want to turn it around to make it seem like, you know, these these crazy kooky suspicious black people like like <laughs> like we're like like we're queuing on or something like we're coming up with these crazy theories like no no you don't want to address the treatment that you have imposed the unfair treatment that you have imposed upon black people for hundreds of years so why should we just magically be comfortable now right we're supposed to just magically be comfortable now because you know tyler perry said so Nah, change the way you are treating us based on race and then maybe we will be more comfortable and less skeptical when it comes to hospitals and the medical community. It's just that simple. The onus is on the hospitals because the medical care system has not garnered any trustworthiness when it comes to black people in America. This has been the unprocessed knowledge podcast thanks for listening